This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays, a weekly series of seminars featuring MedTech's leaders. Join us this Tuesday at 4 p.m. for a discussion led by Sunrise Labs. For more information, go to devicetalks.com. All right, you ready for this? Ready. This is Tom Salami. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Good to be here, Tom. Woohoo! There he is. We are here. Chris Newmarker is back. Sean Woolley did a, an excellent job filling in for you, Chris. Sean did a great job. He did. He did. He, I think he wants one yeah. of our seats on the podcast, Chris. Hey. We got to watch out. Hey, you know, it's good. The more the merrier. Getting everybody on our staff doing this. So, good deal. Actually, next week, next week, we may have everyone on our staff on it so let's let's here we go move toward that sounds like a plan well we'll sing at the end we'll have a very good kumbaya moment we'll have to figure out a good a good song to sing together that sounds that sounds good this land is your land perhaps this land is your land i like that there we go <laughs> I like all right we'll get working on that shall we shall we move into uh we, we shall move into the new markers news makers all right let us i have a new sound for us chris new marker it's hot off Hot off the teletype. That's right. This is just, you just rip this, this sheet right off the, that, that printy machine thingy that, that used uh, to go ta 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 ta. I think I might have a paper cut now, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll get this. We'll, we'll do this. Well, hold, hold that paper high, Chris Newmarker, and tell me what is number five, the, the fifth most read article on Mass Device this week? Number five on the list, we have uh, G Healthcare uh, announced that um, it's made its uh, Serena Bright biopsy technology available in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, this is a um, contrast enhanced guided biopsy solution and you know this is uh you know this is used um you know on you know the same you know mammography equipment same exam room but this is you know supposed to um you know boost uh you know breast cancer screening so like kind of like an interesting uh you know interesting uh breast cancer screening tech that's now uh, available here in the u.s we're gonna get some some ge healthcare folks on this podcast we haven't really uh really brought them on board we will this week i'm very happy to say we'll have our first representative from phillips that's great Yes, Chris Landon. He's the Senior Vice President and Business Leader of Image Guided Therapy Devices at Philips and also shoveled snow this weekend because he's in Minneapolis or Minnesota. He'll be on to, to tell us about his move to Philips and what Philips is up to. So I'm happy to be shining some light onto, onto that company. So Great. I would say the, the snow shoveling builds character. So he's, what is uh, what are our number four new markers newsmakers? Well, number four on the list is uh, you know Merit Medical uh, agreed to pay eighteen million dollars to uh, resolve allegations that they uh, paid kickbacks to uh, physicians, uh, and, and this was uh, you know actually a, a whistleblower a lawsuit. Their uh, you know former chief compliance officer you know sued them. The U.S. Justice Department uh, joined in the whistleblower case, uh, but they. Uh, They've now, um, you know, paid up 18 millions to uh, to settle this. Another medtech kickback case. Yeah, unfortunate. Another another legal settlement as well. I wonder how that was impacted by uh, the pandemic slowdown. Maybe not at all. And moving on now to number three on New Marcus Newsmakers. 
Number three is uh, the, the first article uh, from our, uh, our new pharma editor, Brian Bunce, who uh, we got Brian on board. Brian's actually a, uh, an old colleague of mine from my, my days at, uh, at UBM, now in Forma. And uh, we're just really excited to see, uh, you know, everything he's going to do for us with uh, drug discovery development and pharma school processing world. And, you know, right out the gate, he had a story about uh, where the, uh, the pharma industry is uh, spending its money you know, in, the, uh, in the presidential race. And, uh, you know, historically, they've, you know, the industry has, has supported Republican candidates. But uh, this year, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're giving, uh, you know, triple to, to Biden versus Trump. Wow. So kind of, a, kind of a real change. And uh, it kind of also reflects uh, what we've you know, seen in the medical device industry. A lot of uh, medical device industry insiders, uh, the, the money's going, going a lot more to uh, Biden than Trump. So kind of a change. I wonder how much of that is, is brought on or driven by just the, the interaction over the vaccine development. It's just been such a wild ride. And I know our, our number one item will sort of have to deal with the, with, uh, the FDA. So uh, before we, we go on to number two, though, and you're mentioning that the bringing, bringing Brian on board, take one moment to tell our listeners just how many different sites, what are all of our sites on the Life Sciences side? Because we offer yeah. so much. And this isn't yeah. a commercial. I don't think people really know like how many different sites we have. We have Mass yeah. Device, which we talk about all the time. We have Medical Design and Outsourcing, which I mentioned probably second, but there's much, much more. Yep. And that's kind of our MDO is really our, our place where we do more like deep dives into mm-hmm. the technology, into the you know technologies enabling innovation. Uh, we have a, a site about medical tubing, medical tubing extrusion. It's amazing to me. We have, uh, we, yeah, which uh, which is, is hugely important, actually. We have so many, um, you know, non, you know, minimally invasive procedures that use uh, catheters to deliver technology inside the body. So that, that's actually, it's a very important site. Uh, drug delivery business news that's kind of like covering the you know the place where you know pharma and, and medtech are coming together mm-hmm. and all these you know combo products uh we've got and we've got our pharma sites we've got uh, drug discovery and development and uh, pharmaceutical processing world which uh which now which we uh, acquired last year and now we have an editor dedicated to them so i just want all you folks to realize just how powerful chris newmarker is he oversees this entire empire wow yeah, just even you saying that tom maybe maybe feel <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, I've got some responsibility here. <laughs> now I'm nervous. <laughs> Don't make me nervous, Tom. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number two on the new markers, newsmakers list. Well, number two is uh, FDA issuing an EUA for uh, two at-home COVID-19 uh, tests. Uh, these tests are from uh, Eurofins and uh, Dexterity Diagnostics. Um I mean, this actually, I mean, getting some, you know, at-home tests available, I mean, um, gosh, that could, you know, definitely improve the, the situation. I mean, we're still just... It certainly would, would uh, help the holidays, wouldn't it? If you could have grandma tested before she came in the door. There you go. Here, grandma, <laughs> like, take this test. And we can actually, we can actually, like, have turkey. That would be great. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. All right, here we go. All right. Can we, I guess, you know, more drum roll or something like that, but yes. I will cue, cue the, uh, the teletype machine. Here we go. Our, our number one story is based off something that uh, just uh, came out of uh, Politico, which is that, uh, you know, Politico has about a half a dozen, you know, it's anonymous sources, but they're, you know, they've got like a ha- what they say is a half a dozen current and former administration officials who are saying that uh, HHS uh, Secretary uh, Alex Azar has been openly discussing, you know, like removing Dr. Stephen Hahn as the FDA commissioner, um, which I, I reached out to FDA and uh, a spokesperson there said in an email that, you know, Hahn and 
Azar have a good relationship and they're you know talking all the time. But um, you know, it's um, definitely raises some questions. I mean, it is Politico. Amazing. Yeah, and Politico said that the sources uh, were saying that um, probably wasn't going to happen before the election just because of the optics of it. But um, it, I mean, it. it kind of seems like it, it comes down to, you know, the, you know, FDA just, you know, pretty much, you know, Han's been very open about the fact that, you know, we need, you know, we need to, you know, really, you know, go through the data I have here, have like two months worth of safety data before we uh, really, you know, look at granting EUAs for COVID-19 vaccines. And um, he, he actually, you know, was really touting these open advisory committee meetings they're going to be having um, to, to go over the data around the vaccines, like, you know, saying they're going to be really open about the science behind this. Um, but, um, you know, the, the president was saying he wanted a, a vaccine before the election. So, so here we are. It's remarkable that, that this could happen, that that sort of uh, maneuvering is in place. And it, it was surprising to me that it's happening in October before an election. But your point about this is might not happen until after the election does make more sense. But still, it is some very interesting times that we're living in, for sure. Well, great new markers, newsmakers, Chris. And uh, now let's get into our, our interview with Chris Landon, Senior Vice President and Business Leader of Image Guided Therapy Devices at Philips. This keynote conversation is brought to you by Mass Device and Medical Design and Outsourcing, the number one and number two sources for online medtech news and analysis. Go to massdevice.com and medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com for the latest news and trends in the medtech industry. Chris Landon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm excited to learn more about Philips, but I wanted to uh, learn a little bit about your, your yourself first. Uh, I haven't for a while opened up the, a podcast interview with this question, but I'm just curious as to how you found your way uh, into the medtech industry. What was your what was your entry point? I came into the medtech world about 17 years ago. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, to be mentored by uh, the former CEO of Medtronic, Bill George, while I was doing my MBA uh, in uh, a little school called IMD in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland. Um, and over the course of uh, that mentorship, uh, Bill uh, showed me a video at one point, uh, a video of a, of a gentleman who was suffering from Parkinson's disease, who had been implanted with a Medtronic neurostimulator. It turned out that this person was a, a virtuoso pianist, elderly gentleman, virtuoso pianist, whose, whose Parkinson's had completely debilitated him. He couldn't play. And I remember seeing this video and having that device turned on and watching that man's tremors just fade away and him sitting down at a piano and just, and just playing this beautiful piece of music. And I, I realized at that moment, what a wonderful industry this is uh, when you can combine uh, the innovation and the innovative thinking of engineers, uh, the kind of innovative thinking that uh, an icon like Earl Bakken um, inspires with the know-how and uh, the insights that physicians have. Uh, and they can create solutions that allow people to continue to give their gifts back to the world. I, I was totally inspired by that. Uh, so I signed up for my first med tech job. I, I started at Medtronic in 2003. And um, I had no idea what I was doing before that. I was in consulting, mostly in financial services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I bumped, bumped, uh, you know, jumped around. I was in healthcare economics for a while. I did strategy for a while. How did you uh, end up in Switzerland? I'm, I'm curious, where are you from? Yeah, so I'm, I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. Um, okay. I uh, graduated from the University of Washington in 1995 with an idea of getting involved in um, in the whole dot-com uh, craze. And that's how I got into consulting, mostly with financial services companies. I was doing things like working with online brokerages and that kind of thing. But as most stories go, I met a woman 
And he didn't quite like that consulting lifestyle. So I decided to go back and do my MBA. And I had a particular mentor uh, who uh, was familiar with European schools and he thought I might fit very well there. And, and I was lucky enough to get admitted. And so that's, that's how it happened. And it just happened to coincide with the year that Bill George retired from Medtronic. So okay. it was kind of meant to be that way. What a great, what a great experience. Yeah, I got into, into B2B publishing the late nineties. So all my friends went to com, and I went into MedTech and uh, glad I did it was the time. I was going to say, how are they doing now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very happy with my choice. So did you, through that connection with Bill George, is that how you wound up at Medtronic or was it a, a completely different path? No, that's I, obviously he didn't uh, push me specifically to Medtronic. He inspired me to look hard at, at medical devices. Um, and I certainly uh, evaluated opportunities with other companies as well. Uh, but I didn't really have a ton of uh, built in skills uh, for medical devices yet. And so um, uh, I think some of the relationships that he helped to, to usher in. Uh, at Medtronic helped get me there. And um, I, it was a great experience for me. I had the chance to try on so many different jobs, ranging from strategy and M&A to healthcare economics to sales. I was in sales in the world of spine for a few years before I started getting my, my first experiences as a general manager. Um, and so it was, a, it was a, just a wonderful uh, experience for me. I, I felt like I got the chance to develop across all aspects of what makes medical device companies work. And I think that certainly feeds into how I, uh, I can function as a leader today. I'm staring at the, uh, the snow in your backyard. So you are in Minnesota. Is that how you ultimately landed there? Or were you there from the start in Medtronic in Minnesota, the start, or did you move around a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, so my, my wife's Texan. I, uh, uh, I had to convince her that we needed to, to move to Minnesota <laughs> to get started here. Uh, but yeah, I started my career in 2003 by moving to Minneapolis and, and joining the cardiac rhythm group of Medtronic. Then I moved on uh, to a few different assignments. They rotated me around through um, a sales assignment in Las Vegas, uh, as well as uh, a nice four and a half year stint in the spinal organization in Memphis before bringing me back uh, to Minneapolis. Well, same, same, roughly the same climate as Texas, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, give or take. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not how cold it is, it's just how you dress. Exactly, that's very true. So you were at Medtronic up until uh, your, your time at Phillips. Why was that move made? It's, uh, it's not unusual to see that kind of move, but sometimes you see folks stay in Medtronic for life. Sometimes you see them go into the startup world. What made Phillips enticing? You know, uh, it was a great, great experience uh, at Medtronic, wonderful people. And certainly I learned um, the importance of mission uh, and, and having that common touchstone that everybody in the organization uh, can, can tie into. The Phillips opportunity came to me just a couple of years, about a year and a half ago. And it was really born uh, many years before uh, when the uh, CEO of Phillips, Franz Van Houten, was appointed in 2011. He started the company on this great transformation from going to kind of a, a conglomerate that had all sorts of interest to a real healthcare solutions focused company. And things like the lighting division, uh, the uh, consumer electronics divisions, these things got spun off uh, during his tenure. And now what we have with the company is this uh, healthcare focused uh, entity that really wants to change the, the total continuum of care to one that's more efficient, uh, more effective and drives better outcomes uh, for, for patients. Medical devices is a big part of that strategy. So in 2015, uh, with no medical devices in the portfolio, Philips made their first big acquisition. Uh, that was the Volcano Corporation in 2015. They followed that up in 2017 uh, with an acquisition of Spectronetics, uh, which moved them more solidly into uh, the world of therapy. And where we're at today uh, is continuing through that transformation um, with these two 
great acquisitions now coming together as a image guided therapy device business, one that we want to bring to a global and scalable level. And so when, when Philips first approached me, I think they were looking for uh, somebody with that blue chip medical device company experience who knew what globalized and scalable looks like for a medical device company. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just an opportunity for me to continue on my, my own personal journey of leadership uh, and to take the skills and uh, the insights uh, that I had learned from a company like Medtronic and bring them to an entity that was thirsty for that and to be paired with a CEO who certainly was uh, ready to invest more heavily, both in organic innovation, uh, as well as expand expansion into other adjacent clinical areas. So it was just a great fit, uh, you know, on top of all that, uh, the opportunity to come to a company with such a great culture, 129 years of, of history, it, it felt like an environment that I could succeed in mm-hmm. uh, and that I'm supported in. So uh, it was just a, a match made in heaven. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I've, I've been in the uh, position now for a year and a half, and I'm already starting to uh, you know, get a sense of, of the uh, successes that, that are coming from applying this type of thinking to this transformational vision that our CEO has. How large is your, your group presently? And if you can tell me employees and, and what areas, what therapies do you really target? So, um, so image guided therapy devices, our medical device division uh, is, uh, is part of the image guided therapy organization within Philips, which is one of the large, uh, four large business clusters uh, in, uh, in the company. Uh, the number of employees that directly support devices is roughly 3,700 uh, employees. Uh, we are, um, as an image-guided therapy organization, which is a combination of medical devices and imaging systems, uh, we are in about seven uh, clinical categories. But the devices themselves, uh, we're only in three categories. Those are coronary, peripheral vascular, and a little bit of structural heart. So what, and this has roughly been born, this entity has been born and grown over the last five years, planned and, and, and grown from that start in 2015. MedTech is a, is a, an older industry uh, and we can name most of the players who have been up and down first, second, and third for, for a number of years. Where do you see Philips sort of fitting into the, the broader MedTech population now? And, yeah. and where do you, I have a sense of where you want it to look fit in the future, but maybe we can get into some specifics as to, to how you get there. So I think you're, you're right. And, you know, medtech itself is old, and, and there's a lot of uh, categories of, of medical devices that I think have, I wouldn't say have become commoditized, but have definitely uh, become entrenched. Where we want to go with Philips is we won't want to focus on procedural innovation in this image-guided slash minimally invasive space, where optimizing that interface between medical devices and these enabling imaging systems can lead to more cost efficiency or can lead to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is ultimately where we're going. And the advantage that we bring to the table uh, is that obviously we're the only medical device company that has its own imaging company uh, right attached to us in the same division, uh, which allows us to both optimize interfaces for devices that are already on the market, but also gives us a point of view of where the puck is going. What are the imaging and information system technologies that physicians are gonna be using to guide surgery in the future? And how do we begin to optimize medical devices to take advantage of that? So think about things like artificial intelligence or augmented reality. Philips has actually half the R&D engineers in the entire company are hardware software people. 
And they have very um, uh, solid plans for how we're going to move into these enabling imaging and visualization technologies in the future. Mm -hmm. And we have the benefit uh, as being part of that vision uh, to figure out how medical devices fits into that so that we can create that, that full seamless experience for physicians as they try to move uh, to more effective procedures that have uh, better outcomes. I remember when I was in sales uh, with uh, our Medtronic spinal division, and I was trying to convince a, a particular surgeon, a neurosurgeon, uh, to do more minimally invasive spine surgery. And I remember him telling me that he, he really believes in minimally invasive spine surgery. He wanted to adopt more of those procedures, but the problem was the imaging technology just wasn't there yet. And his attitude was, if I can't see it, I can't treat it. Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to see it. And I think that's the essence of the value proposition that we're trying to bring to the table. We want to make it easier for our physicians to see where they're going so they can get more precise therapies uh, to their patients. Do you see that you're sort of a, a company for the time as in uh, it's kind of a softball question, but as, as we're moving into ambulatory surgical centers, as we're looking for more uh, minimally invasive ways to go uh, to, to treat things, both at the ESCs, but also in the hospitals. I mean, is your thesis that this is the time to really be focused almost exclusively on this type of therapy and we're going to remain 100% focused on that? Yeah, I think for Philips, that is the story. We, we want to absolutely remain focused on, on everything that's uh, image guided and uh, minimally invasive. In fact, I can even tell you, I mean, we we have these uh, image guided therapy uh, systems, cath lab systems. Uh, that are primarily used in seven clinical domains, right? You've got, you've got coronary, peripheral, electrophysiology, structural heart, oncology, neurovascular, and spine. Uh, these, are the, these are the clinical domains where we, we see the most innovative opportunity when it comes to minimally invasive uh, surgery innovation. Uh, and so our devices strategies are going to track to that, uh, to those clinical domains, constantly focused on where can we innovate procedurally to achieve some kind of outcome. Phillips's framework for defining outcomes is actually uh, organized around four things. We, we actually call that the quadruple aim. Uh, it's about improving physician experience, improving patient experience, uh, improving cost effectiveness, improving outcomes. Uh, so that is what frames how we think about procedural innovation. Uh, and we were looking for opportunities to, through both inorganic and organic investments uh, to innovate procedures, bring those things together and deliver a more customized solution to our physicians. So talk to me about how you get there. Where does the innovation happen on the device side of things? Are you looking at that in-house? Are you developing your own tools? Or is this something that'll be primarily built through acquisition? And we can maybe at some point talk about the recent intact acquisition, which was big news this year. I think the answer is, is a little bit of both. Uh, one of the most attractive things to me about uh, the opportunity to come to Philips was this very strong commitment to organic innovation. Uh, in fact, if you look at Philips's overall commitment to R&D, it's roughly 10% of revenue, which I think when you apply that to more standard blue chip medical device companies, looks pretty favorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my own division, you know, we have a much more significant commitment uh, to, to organic R&D uh, and clinical investments than, than that 10% number. So the company really walks the talk when it comes to committing itself to organic R&D. We tend to focus our organic R&D investments on those categories that we're already in. Uh, so we are taking diagnostic uh, coronary technologies, for example, and building out the you know, next generation platforms. We just launched uh, recently, our new OmniWire pressure wire uh, product that is uh, a, a brand new type of concept, I think, for uh, driving better outcomes 
uh, in PCI procedures. That kind of innovation is going to continue to come out of our organic investment. Uh, similarly, we're making these types of investments uh, in clinical trials. Uh, so you may have seen, I think you, uh, you all covered uh, the uh, recent announcement of our uh, one-year follow-up data on our defined PCI trial, uh, showing uh, the uh, the benefit of bringing pressure um, management into um, into these procedures and optimizing patient outcomes. So these are the kinds of organic investments we want to make. As we look into moving into some of these adjacent clinical categories, that's where we're looking more uh, holistically at inorganic investment. Uh, now that said, if we have tuck-in opportunities that make our portfolio more robust and help us define a better solution for our uh, physicians, such as the Intact vascular acquisition, we're going to take advantage of those opportunities as well. Let's use Intact as a, a bit of a, a case study or an example. How did that come together? How did you come to know who they are? Obviously, they're a larger company, but how did that the conversations between the two of you start? Well, just like uh, any other uh, relationship that we have uh, with companies, it, it starts through uh, just you know being around each other, um, being around the same physicians, yeah. um, having the same types of conversations that, that I think every medical device company has with their physicians. What are the needs that aren't being met out there? Um, what are the interesting new technologies that are on the horizon? that might fit into a portfolio, uh, the kind of which uh, we are building out in our own company. You know, you, you get these inputs from, from all sorts of sources and, and obviously physicians are, are one of the best places to go uh, when you're looking for um, ideas of, of things that might fit. But I've had the opportunity to get to know uh, the CEO of Intact, Bruce Shook, um, over the last couple of years uh, since I came uh, to Philips. Uh, and we've had a, a few very, uh, I think, inspiring discussions. And, and I think when it became super clear that there was such a complementary fit between what Philips already had in its um, peripheral vascular portfolio, uh, particularly with our IBIS imaging capabilities and our, our Stellarex uh, drug-coated balloon product, and uh, the need that our physicians had to treat dissections that often come from these types of uh, interventions, the fit was obvious. Uh, and we, uh, once we realized this was going to work very well and the cultures of our organizations fit very well, bringing that kind of deal together was uh, was actually not very difficult. So the, the, was the initial contact, true contact or, or meaningful contact with you and Bruce? I, I would say Phillips for sure had a relationship uh, with Intact before he had even started at Phillips. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly getting to know the leadership at Intact um, made me much more comfortable uh, with, uh, with the strategy. Yep. And I, I think vice versa, um, you know, it's always a two-way street in these types of interactions. And, and what does the integration of Intact look like? How do you bring a company that, of that size and type into, into Philips? Yeah, well, Philips uh, is, uh, has a long history of acquiring companies and, and we have, I think, a very robust process uh, for uh, identifying um, where synergies exist uh, in these types of tuck-in acquisitions as well as how to uh, systematically go through the process of, of driving you know, an integration. What we wanna do, particularly with this acquisition, is tuck it into our uh, peripheral vascular business mm -hmm. uh, and just take advantage of everything that, the, that Intact has, has already built. Um, they already have a manufacturing capability. We are moving to, uh, to make that a more scalable operation so that we can launch more fully. They have a great R&D organization. They have a great quality regulatory clinical set of organizations. Uh, and we're just going to tuck those into the existing structure uh, within our, our existing company. For, for folks who are listening and who, who are running companies or working at companies or just are interested in, in how 
a deal with Philips may happen? What what is your business development process look like? Uh, who who is out there scouting for deals, uh, and and how does someone engage Philips to begin at least an introduction that may lead to a meaningful conversation? Uh, we do have a, a set of business development professionals uh, who are constantly out there uh, scouting the market. We we show up at. Um, all the, the big society meetings. Hopefully we'll have those again someday. I would really enjoy that again. That would be nice. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think we make ourselves very available both um, uh, to, the, um, uh, to the technology side as well as to the financial side uh, of the business development world. And uh, I think the big thing that, um, that I, anyone who's listening to this podcast wants, uh, uh, should know about this is that you know, we're eager uh, to, uh, to d- develop deeper relationships and we're eager to, d- to explore creative partnership opportunities. Anything that helps us continue to move down that mission of innovating minimally invasive procedures in those clinical categories uh, that I mentioned before. Are your uh, sales folks, are they involved at all? They're obviously out there on the front lines. So are they sending ideas back or? Yeah, the sales folks, uh, you know, are always, <laughs> they have tons of great ideas that <laughs> I, I can I can respect that. I was a salesperson too. And, and absolutely, they're, they're a great interface to physicians. And, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, the relationships that we have with our physicians are, are just top notch. And this is one of the things that I think is uh, really significant for Philips. It's not like we started our medical device journey with nothing. Uh, we had this great footprint in the cath labs mm-hmm. all around the world and already had these relationships with physicians. And so the company Philips already had an idea where unmet needs existed uh, and where there were opportunities to, to combine device and imaging systems together to solve those unmet needs. Those unmet need discussions is often where some of the best ideas come from for uh, business development, mergers and acquisitions. So I think it's probably not unusual um, if, a, if a small company were to approach us because Hey, a doctor said they they saw that Philips is doing this, and maybe you should check into those uh, with that company. Those kinds of scenarios also exist. Will you invest directly in companies? Absolutely. Uh, we're very eager to create a, a pipeline of relationships and to make investments in uh, in ventures that we think have potential. Do you see? I guess with I'm just thinking with imaging, we're seeing uh, is there a connection with robotics? Will we see you move into robotics or maybe an area that? A month, a year from now, two months from now, makes us really go, wow, that's a big pivot for Philips. Do you see yourself going into a new direction like, or a, uh, an additional direction like that? That might be a, a subject for uh, for my colleague who runs our IGT systems division. Uh, but I will say this, we, we really are uh, obsessed with this idea of procedural innovation. And we want to take advantage of uh, the footprint that we have and the, the space that we occupy to stay ahead of the rest of the market when it comes to using enabling technologies like uh, artificial intelligence, like uh, virtual reality, perhaps even robotics to deliver on that procedural innovation promise. So yeah, I, I would I would say that it's a fair bet we're, we're interested in talking to um, uh, people who have ideas around how robotics can be applied into those clinical areas that I mentioned in order to drive those uh, innovations, whether it's going to drive some kind of cost efficiency or drive some kind of outcome. Last couple of questions as we wrap up. Uh, how do you see things, how have things changed for you in, in the, the COVID era? How, what, what has changed for you and how you do your job? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm recording this podcast from my, my <laughs> office at home. So that's one. <laughs> that's one. Um, and uh, my, my airline miles have significantly declined. <laughs> Hopefully they're <reading> that again <laughs> sometimes. 
Oh, and I've, I've actually come to realize I, my kids have names too. So I've got all, <laughs> um, no, I look, I think in the short term, we have experienced what every other medical device company has, has experienced. It's been harder for us to get to our customers and harder for us to maintain just our production levels. Although we've been very fortunate that we've had no major uh, outages due to infections in any of our, our plants. Everything is just a little bit harder, uh, but the good news is it's starting to normalize. And where we focus now in the short term post-COVID is just restoring, helping our physicians and hospitals restore patient confidence and getting back to the cath lab. We're very worried that patients are avoiding coming into the healthcare systems, patients who are in need. So, so we're, we're partnering up. We, we want to work with, uh, work with our customers uh, to help get the messages out to patients. Hey, we, we can manage you safely. Uh, come back if you need help. In the long term, I, you know, I think a lot of the things, and I, I listened to one of your podcasts where you had the CEO of Avail on. I think a lot of the things you're hearing from uh, other uh, other guests that you bring onto your show, I, I think we agree with, right? We certainly see a new type of re- sales rep physician interface happening. In fact, just in July of this year, Philips acquired a Canadian company called Reacts. And we've created our own virtual presence uh, in the cath lab uh, type of capability which we're already now using to deploy, not just, you know, replicating, you know, local rep with local doctor interactions, but we're actually now uh, replicating rep to far distant location interactions with doctors. Mm. We're also using it in medical education. So these kinds of innovations are going to stick. They're going to change the way that we interact with physicians, I think, for the better. Uh, I think Philips is completely committed to telehealth. And uh, I think telehealth, when applied to my world of intervention, is going to change and redefine how referral pathways work and how patients get into a funnel, ultimately getting to an intervention. Uh, so we're really excited to make that happen because I think that's going to be more efficient and help drive in earlier intervention, which everybody understands ultimately results in better outcomes. And then I think uh, you already mentioned it earlier. I think in the U.S. in particular, alternative sites of care, ASCs, office space labs, they're going to get a lot more attention. Uh, this, These are going to be viewed, I think, by consumers as safer, more convenient places to go. And so it's on us uh, as a medical device company, as a healthcare technology company, to bring solutions to those entities that are more cost-effective, that reflect the economics of that environment versus a hospital environment. And we're totally committed to that as well. Uh, so those are those are the big changes I think happened in the post-COVID world. And I'm saving the toughest question for last. You were pretty non-committal in your uh, email prior to the interview about your stance on pumpkin sausages. Are you... Uh... For or against? I'm going to go against pumpkin sausage. Um, I got to admit, when I heard you mention it uh, in a previous podcast, I almost gagged. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty on that very, very hard-hitting question. I can only be who I am, Tom. <laughs> thanks for the time, and thanks for joining us on the podcast, Chris. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, we're back. Well, thanks so much, Chris Landon, for joining us on the Device Talks Weekly podcast. It was great to hear from Phillips. And Chris Newmarker, how can folks, where can folks hear from you? I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker. And you can find me on Twitter at Newmarker. Always, uh, always happy to talk with people. I am also on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. And I am on Twitter as well, at MedTechTom. Please reach out to us. Please share this podcast on those social media channels. And when you do, make sure you tag Chris and or myself, both preferably. We'd love to uh, be part of the conversation. We'd love to see what you're all talking about. And uh, it is great when when we do see, uh, do see folks sharing. I'm seeing it more and more. And 
we'll start calling people out and thanking them for for sharing it in the next podcast. We'll start taking names and uh, giving credit where it's due because it's really nice to see folks who just are putting it up and saying this is a podcast I enjoy. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who who does that. I'll be buying a big stack of thank you cards soon. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Please subscribe. That way you'll get this podcast sent directly to you on Friday afternoons. You don't have to wait until we post it on any of our news, wonderful news sites, although please do visit those. And uh, again, push the subscribe button on your podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you'll get these podcasts sent directly to your listening device the moment that I post them on SoundCloud. Don't have to wait for us to post it on Mass Device. You don't have to wait for us to put it on LinkedIn. You'll get it first. That's right. Push that button right now. That's right. Do it. You'll be instantly wildly entertained every Friday afternoon. And and who doesn't need that? Exactly. Who doesn't need some Friday afternoon entertainment? Totally. Absolutely. All right. That's it, folks. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Join us next week. We'll put together a most excellent episode for you. See you next week. Godzilla!